because we believe not one person, not one child should ever wake up or go to bed hungry. Because more opportunities earlier create stronger foundations later. Today on Because Radio, Snowflake Place makes a positive difference for children and youth who are victims of abuse. Folklorama celebrates its 50th anniversary this year and we'll learn about the newest pavilion in this year's festival. We visit the Lundar Museum on a road trip. And this week's Winnipeg Impact Makers My Body Fitness and Nutrition, Rising Strong and Tilly and True spread body positivity at the beach. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 16. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sonny Promolo. Sonny, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, man. The weather's great. I agree. You know what? It's been a really it's been a really good summer. It's had some days where, you know, the heat has even been a little much. It's been a little bit too much at times, but when it's been that perfect temperature, it has been great. Absolutely. I was a little concerned about my foundation at the house for a little bit, but uh, hopefully that's all over. To start things off, today's foundation feature focuses on children, youth, and families, and we'll be learning more about Snowflake Place for children and youth and how it provides supports for child abuse victims. Snowflake Place is also a participating charity in the Ride for Refuge, which is taking place in October, with the goal of raising money to support its programming. We'll speak with Chantal Lacoste, who is the Community Engagement Coordinator at Snowflake Place, to learn more. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on children, youth, and families. Welcome back to Because Radio. Joining me in the studio today is Chantelle Lacoste, Community Coordinator for Snowflake Place. Uh, thanks for coming on Because Radio. Thanks so much for having me. So for those who are unfamiliar with Snowflake Place, can you give us a brief rundown of what Snowflake Place is and what it does? Uh, so Snowflake Place for Children and Youth is Manitoba's only child advocacy center. So what CACs are intended to do is to help minimize system-induced trauma through the child abuse investigation process. So we are intended to kind of create more of a seamless, coordinated, and a collaborative approach and do that in a child-friendly setting for the families as well as the child victims. How do people get referred to your programming? Yeah, great question. So right now we are currently, you can only be referred um, through Winnipeg Police, different police agencies in Manitoba or RCMP. There's a ton of children that go through the program, but there's also a ton of children that don't get there. Can you give us some figures around those numbers? The figures are kind of a little bit changing, but we know that for Snowflake Place, we're reaching our maximum capacity of helping children at around 375 a year. That's the amount of interviews we're, we're able to do with the space and the uh, professionalism that we have. And we're finding out that there are more than 3,000 cases a year of reported child abuse. So as you can imagine, that is a huge percentage not being served in a child-friendly, supportive space that where those kids can get help. 
how is it possible to get more help? Awareness is a huge piece. Like a lot of people don't really know about us because we're such a small organization and we were only created about five years ago. And that in itself was just a huge shift in the way that things are are run and organized um, when it comes to child abuse. So we're making tremendous progress already, but we have a lot more to do. So awareness is a huge piece. Uh, And then now just trying to support us in ways that, you know, say, for example, events and, um, you know, following us on social media and just understanding what we're doing, what's going on in the community. There's a few events that we've got going on and we're really excited about and we'd love for you to be a part of that. Can you tell us some misconceptions about the whole system and the process? A lot of people don't really understand what these children go through, right? Can you give us a little light on that? Yeah, for sure. So some misconceptions probably would be that everything kind of goes smoothly. Parents and caregivers are guided through the process when in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. All these different systems take time between each one you have a different support person um, and that changes constantly there's so many different service providers that are out there to help you but they're all working in silos so we try and bring them together in our organization but there's so much more that we could be doing to help create that seamless uh, much more coordinated process absolutely so speaking about things that you could be doing uh, what are some plans or ideas for growth with snowflake place So it's really exciting. We have some huge plans for growth. We are wanting to make a much more inclusive child advocacy center, one where all the different service providers can come together and provide the necessary programs and support systems that that child abuse victims and and families can can get help, um, not just for the criminal justice process, but also the healing process. And that's what we really want to focus on is the healing. 100%. And speaking about support, you mentioned events earlier. One of them is called Ride for Refuge, which is going to be held on October 5th. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. It's super exciting. So this year, uh, it's our first year being a part of Ride for Refuge, but uh, it's on October 5th. And we, as well as 22 other charities in Winnipeg, are a part of this event. But we're all each trying to raise awareness and funds to help our programs. And so I believe the actual event details are on the website, so you can check that out. But what it is, it's basically you create a team and you get the option of either riding or walking and you just try and raise money for your your organization that you choose. And so we hope that you would choose Snowflake Place. Um, It is our first time doing it. We aren't huge on funding and we haven't been huge in the community. And this is our first attempt to really get out there and let people know about us and what we're doing. So um, we're really excited about it. Very cool. So you're looking for people to sign up to be captains and create teams? Yes. Yes, so we need more teams and we need more fundraisers. So our goal is to double what we have right now. We have 18 teams um, and we have over 15 participants. We're trying to raise $30,000. We're at 25% of that right now, but I'm really hoping to exceed that as well. And is there any deadline at all for people to sign up? October 5th, pretty much. What will the money be used for? So that'll really help with our our growth plans. Um, There are tons of other things that, you know, as an organization, we need to have. And and that's, you know, snacks and refreshments for families that are coming in. That's coloring books and different healthy uh, emotional outlets, things that the kids can do when they're there in the family room. There's tons of things that 
we need to have for the families that are coming in but but more important it's going to really help with our substantial growth plans um, and that comes in you know being able to have our business plan being able to um, have our uh, case for support all those different elements and that all takes you know money and professionals and and so this is just the start of it but we're really hoping to to make some huge progress this year it's clear that you guys make a substantial impact in our community. Do you have any stories, without saying any names, of course, from somebody coming into the system, dealing with Snowflake Place and really changing and altering their lives for the better? Well, as I mentioned, there's about 375 different interviews that are taking place at Snowflake. So as ourselves being in the organization, we get to see a lot of the kids coming in and seeing the positive impact that it has on them being in that comfortable space, that warm space where the people there just want to take care of them and make sure that they feel supported. There is, as I mentioned, a lot of things that we need to do after in terms of support. But while we're there, you can see in their faces how much more comfortable they are than maybe they would at, in a different process of being interviewed. There's there's lots of little things that you see in the actual organization, but when you're speaking about long term, we've had tons of kids that maybe have come in twice to Snowflake Place and they had mentioned like their experience at Snowflake Place was wonderful and they're happy that they're doing that process there instead so of somewhere cool. else. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so for those looking to learn more about Snowflake Place, where can they go? They can go to our website at snowflakeplace.ca or you can also, if you want to learn more about Ride for Refuge and learn about what we're doing, you can go to rideforrefuge.org. And then you can just click in the search button, Snowflake Place for children and youth. So is there anything else that you would like to add before we go today? I would just love to get the community out for Ride for Refuge to help Snowflake Place. I can't ask enough thank yous for the people that are already participating, but um, also to, to urge people to get team started. And if you don't want to create your own team, then to join ours, just contact us and, and we'd love to have you on. Most definitely. Once again, I'm speaking with Chantelle Lacoste, Community Coordinator for Snowflake Place, Manitoba's only child advocacy center focused on the needs of children and youth who have experienced abuse. If you would like to learn more about Snowflake Place, visit them at snowflakeplace.ca. Again, thanks for coming down and sharing, Chantelle. Thanks for having me. This is Sonny Pomolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sunny. Up next on Because Radio, Folklorama is celebrating 50 years of celebrating cultures from around the world. One of the newest pavilions is the Egyptian Pavilion, and producer Jeremy Morantz recently spoke with coordinator Hala Salama to learn more about how a pavilion is created and what people can expect when they visit the Egyptian Pavilion this week. You're listening to Because Radio. I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm talking to Hala Salama, the coordinator of the Egyptian Pavilion at this year's Folklorama. Thank you so much for talking to me, Hala. My pleasure. So I want to ask uh, right off the bat here, what goes into coordinating a pavilion? What's gone into coordinating the Egyptian Pavilion? It's uh, a lot of fun work, working with a lot of good people, uh, getting all together, meeting a new people who are really willing to present their mother country to their uh, their beloved uh, community and uh, so excited about 
showing how beautiful Egypt uh, to their beautiful uh, current um, community. If you wanna, they wanna show the roots to the people who live around them. What can people expect when they come to the Egyptian pavilion? There's dancing, I'm sure. There's food. Tell us what we can expect. Uh, you will expect um, a lot of uh, happy faces around you. People are uh, excited and uh, lots of high positive energy trying to present uh, what, how you feel when you are in Egypt. How you feel how when you sit in in, uh, in a cafe in Egypt, or uh, walking uh, down a busy street, just trying to show you a little bit of the um, everyday uh, Egypt. Well, it sounds like people have really been enjoying it so far. Can you tell us a little bit about the response that you've been getting from the pavilion? It has been amazing. I'm just blown away with how the people <laughs> are uh, really appreciating the, uh, the the hard work people put through and uh, appreciating the uh, the feel of uh, the warm welcome and the high energy in the show. The show is amazing. Uh, we have an amazing performers, uh, which most of them are uh, local, and we have uh, a, a visiting dancers from Egypt originally, but he lives in Spain, and he's an amazing uh, dancer and teacher. And we have uh, a local talent, which uh, it actually it just adds a depth to the, to the whole uh, event, how local people really love Egypt and already studied the folklore and the culture and the history of Egypt in uh, in so much depth that uh, you can just feel they are as Egyptian as you, like who born and grow up there, and they um, they are so excited about uh, the event, and they have the knowledge and the ability and the talent to present it in a way like lots of Egyptians. They tell me, I can't believe they are not Egyptian. I said, Yeah, they are not. Can you imagine? But they they actually. Most of them went to Egypt to study that, to study the folklore, to study the culture and history, and um, put uh, like roots to that dance. It's not just movement; it's uh, a whole lot of more depth than uh, steps and uh, presentation of music and move. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot of, uh, of history and uh, culture and. It's just a mix of amazing uh, feelings and amazing knowledge just poured together to bring out a very, uh, like, very enjoyable show because it with heart is done with love and with uh, like so much engagement with everyone. Like everyone is feeling the other people and just presenting the the best and putting their best for the in, in that uh, show just amazing how to work with all these local people and uh, people coming from Egypt in one show and everybody just one team player who is working to present the best they can do what's been uh, on a personal level what's been the most rewarding part of the experience of coordinating this pavilion for you 
No, uh, meeting new people, meeting new Egyptian and meeting new Canadian who uh, been to Egypt and love Egypt and uh, how as soon as they heard the word Egypt, they would tell you all the stories about their experience, the people who lived there for long years or the people who just went for trips and it just left in them a very uh, deep um, uh, like impression and uh, and feeling of uh, I want to go back to Egypt. And just uh, it's it's amazing how many uh, Egyptian and Canadian uh, like have part of Egypt in them. And I understand the Egypt Pavilion. It's a is it a new pavilion? Yeah, it's our first year. So what's it like being a new pavilion and coordinating the first year? It's actually quite fulfilling <laughs> to start something from scratch. It's like having a new baby. You just, uh, it's uh, sometimes you know what to expect. And uh, to give it the uh, the face and the feel you want to do. You're not taking over from any uh, existing, uh, it, it, it's all new. It's all what you uh, put your vision and your effort in there to get it how you like, and you get the amazing volunteers working with you, with all their ideas, and we take together what what Egypt, what you want to present, what's your uh, passion about Egypt, why you feel it is something worth presenting, and what's the highlight of everything. It just puts a total new depth of what. It's how you think about your group. It's just very enriching. And the most amazing thing as well is the new generation who were born here in uh, in Canada, but still they feel that their roots are still there and they are, as much as they are Canadians, are still Egyptian, which is amazing to me, like how we, um, we might have been in Egypt for a few times, maybe not even in total for a month, and same time, they are so connected to there and here. It's just a, a beautiful mix between um, different cultures and accepting and understanding uh, each other. And that's why Folklorama is such a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that we get to demonstrate the multi multiculturalism uh, in our city. Uh, lastly, if our listeners out there want to learn more, they want to uh, to get involved with the Egypt Pavilion or attend the Egypt Pavilion, uh, what information can you provide? Uh, we are uh, located at U of M in multi-purpose room. Uh, we have a beautiful website made with uh, amazing Egyptian uh, designer and amazing uh, Egyptian. Uh, you have um, a local uh, company here, uh, Imagine Rose and uh, Samuel Kirsch, they um, they are uh, offering a lot of uh, marketing um, uh, material like that. Website is really amazing, so you can reach us through the website. Uh, we have um, our Facebook. We have all our social media. You can reach us through there, uh, or through Folkrama website. It's uh, it's it's. Uh, Nowadays, it's really easy to, <laughs> to come <laughs> and connect with uh, with 
with what you really want to reach. So we welcome everyone, and we hope to see as many as um, happy faces and the people who can make them smile and feel the positive energy Egypt can offer. Hala Salama, the coordinator of the Egyptian Pavilion, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, the Because Radio road trip heads north onto Highway 6 and visits the Lundar Museum in Lundar, Manitoba. Welcome to the Because Radio road trip. Today, we're visiting the Lundar Museum in Lundar, Manitoba. Let's go. On today's road trip, we took an hour and 40 minute drive northwest to Lundar, Manitoba. We're here with Isabel, who's a volunteer at the Lundar Museum. Thank you so much for joining us today, Isabel. You're welcome. So there's a lot I want to get to. We've had a chance to look around the Lundar Museum uh, for a bit, and there's so much I want to talk about. But first, why don't we start off nice and general? Why don't you tell our listeners simply what is the Lundar Museum? I think the Lundar Museum is a collection of artifacts that have come from people of different backgrounds, religions, workplaces, and stuff that put all together that represents the culture of our town. Now, why is it important, in your opinion, why is it important to preserve that Lundar community history? You mentioned there are a lot of cultural diversity, a lot of cultural backgrounds in this region. So why is it important to preserve that? It helps to it helps to build bridges between different cultures. Um, it creates a different awareness of how people live. Um, I think probably for me, the most important is really to show our kids like what our forefathers had to live through to get what we have today. You're absolutely right. There's something that's really um, perspective shifting about actually being in the history like right now you and I are sitting in this house that was uh built in 1887 and actually uh uh, anecdotally was lived in only until as recently as 1987 but we're sitting in this house and it feels like it's a piece of of history uh around us um there's all kinds of history around us for example we're right on the railway and the main part of this museum is a train station so uh what importance did the train station and the railway have to the town of Lundar? I think that was how they got most of their supplies or coming and sending the supplies back. People traveling from Winnipeg to here and people going to Winnipeg and back. So I think that was really your main key to the comings and goings of people. The, tra- the train station that, uh, that is the main uh, building of the museum was actually lived in by the, the train station manager. And so you can feel when you walk in, you can feel the history and the lived in quality. And I think that's a, that's a, a major theme and feature of, of this museum. Well, that certainly was, it's certainly, that's how we started the museum because that train station was donated to the community, I think for a dollar, but it was facing the railway tracks. So then it had been lifted to face the main street. Another really uh, fascinating element of the museum here is this church from Notre Dame, Manitoba, which is only 14 miles down the highway. This church was actually uprooted and moved in one piece to sit here at the Lundar Museum. 
Yes, and it was done very quickly because I can remember being here the weekend before, two weekends before I had attended that church at the Notre Dame set place, and I come the next weekend and this church was gone. <laughs> so it was done very quickly. There's some interesting artifacts in that church, like a 300-year-old Icelandic Bible, is that right? Yes, And uh, all the, the stained glass. The book collection. There's a, also an Icelandic book collection of th just about 3,000 books. That's that's a lot of books. So I think you'd, you could keep yourself very busy trying to read all those books. I'd have to learn Icelandic <laughs> first. <laughs> so you'd keep yourself even busier. Um on that note, what are some what are some notably interesting artifacts or items to you in this museum? Well, because I'm a seamstress, I'm really interested in all these senior sewing machines. I think we have 19 of them. I think we have to really respect some of the the Democrats and uh, the carts and stuff that we have for transportation before. There's just so many. Uh, the other thing that I think we forget is we also had some English settlers. So when you look at the collection of China everywhere, that would have certainly been an, an, an English tradition. And I understand too that fishing was a, a big a big deal in Lundar uh, back in the day, and e even today, uh, because fishing uh, was a part of a lot of cultures that that existed here and still do exist. All of Icelanders people like to live by the water, but so did the Métis people live by the water. So fishing was one of their main sources of food plus their income for both of them. And I understand, too, that you work with a, a local Manitoba foundation, uh, the Coldwell Community Foundation. What has that partnership been like? That partnership has been excellent because every year we always have a little project that is usually around twenty-five dollars to $4,000, $5,000. But if it wouldn't have been for their support, we would never get them done because we don't have many funds available to us. There is a, a complete wide variety of items here. We were looking at the, one of the operator boards that back in the day uh, operators would plug the wires Telephone in. switchboards. And the variety from that to horse wagons and all the china that's around us right now. There are uh, a whole lot of buildings here. How many exactly uh, comprise the museum? We have nine different buildings. Yeah, I mean... It, there's a lot to see, and the 40th anniversary of the museum is coming up next year. Uh, next year, I understand. So, no better time than right now to come to come by and visit the Lundar Museum in in honor of their 40th anniversary. I think we have to just think about the people that had the the gumption to do this. Like it wasn't until really last year that I was really part of the workings of the museum, but it's amazing. Like when you get into it, it gets to be. Um, gets to be really tricky. You really want to just keep going, and it's very fascinating. Well, there's no shortage of history and artifacts to un to uncover, that's for sure. No. If, if people want to come visit, learn more, uh, what details can you offer? Well, we could just tour them through the buildings and give them what we know. And um, we have done, if people have come in and say, oh, my father's lived here or my parents lived here, we go back to our Wagon to Wings book which was our local history book. And so we looked them up and see, oh, well, there it is. And then, oh, well, then you would have lived at this specific place because we have a very good map of the, the homesteads. Again, no better time to come visit the Lundar Museum than, than now. Uh, we want to thank the Lundar Museum uh, and Isabel for having us come down for another Because Radio road trip. As mentioned earlier, the Lundar Museum uh, has partnered with the Coldwell Community Foundation to establish a permanently endowed Manitoba Heritage Trust Fund to support their work. 
This program helps museums like the Lundar Museum operate and preserve Manitoba's rich culture, which we can all, of course, benefit from. To learn more about the Heritage Trust program, you can visit endowmanitoba.ca. This has been Jeremy Morantz, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thank you. That was excellent. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio road trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of the Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week, I'll be speaking with Brooke Van Rysel, owner of My Body Fitness and Nutrition, to learn about an event that she is co-hosting with Rising Strong and Tilly and True to spread body positivity at the beach. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Pramolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm back with Brooke Van Rysel, owner and founder of My Body Fitness and Nutrition, Winnipeg's first body positive fitness and nutrition company. Welcome back to Because Radio. Thank you for having me back. The reason we're here today is to highlight an awesome event that you're co-hosting on the 18th. Can you share with us what that is? Yes, so on August 18th, myself, along with my two friends and colleagues, Karina and Chantel, are hosting a body-positive beach day at Birds Hill Provincial Park. As you mentioned, this event is a collaboration with Rising Strong and Tilly and True. Can you tell us a bit about the two and why you chose to work together on this event? Yeah, of course. So, of course, we're very good friends. But more than that, uh, we did the event last year, and both of all of all three of us work in very similar realms. So Karina, who runs Rising Strong, she focuses on body image and empowering youth, particularly. So she does empowering workshop series all across uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba. And Chantel, who owns Tillian True, she does more one-on-one uh, coaching. So to help support people growing through their body image and helping empower them to feel good in their bodies. That's awesome. So Body Positive Beach Day 2.0 is going to be jam-packed with free empowering activities. What type of activities can we expect? Well, you know, some of them are are to be revealed soon, (laughs) but each of us are going to be doing an activity that kind of falls in line with what we normally do. So for myself, it's going to be something uh, movement-based, nothing too rigorous because we want it to be very relaxed and and chilled out. So it'll be more of a body connection activity. And then Karina is going to be doing something that's along the lines of workshops, but nobody needs to bring anything with them. She's got everything. And then uh, Chantal, I believe, will do be doing something similar. So probably uh, introducing people to some of her coaching techniques or doing something completely different. Where will it be held and what time should people be there for? So on August 18th, it's a Sunday, it's going to be held at Birds Hill Provincial Park. We're going to be located on the West Beach because that is the beach right now that has the accessibility mats. It is wheelchair accessible um, and it'll be from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can show up whenever you want before then and then stay after then. But that's kind of the block of the time when we'll be there and running the activities. Why would you say it's important to share the importance of body positivity and why is it important to have events like this? Well, we did this last year and it it really came from a place of 
wanting to create more safe spaces. We all try and do that with what we do in our own businesses every day, but there's always so much more to be done and particularly more to be done in the community with free activities like this to make sure that it's accessible to all human beings, all ages, all bodies, all gender identities and expressions and all abilities as well. So um, really it's just about creating that safe space for everyone to feel safe in their body, empowered in their body, and feel excited and relaxed on a day at the beach. Because we all know in particular, that is something that can be stressful for a lot of people. You're exposed, you're in a bathing suit, maybe a lot of people don't feel comfortable in a bathing suit. And we want to create an environment on the beach where no matter who you are, no matter what you look like or where you come from, you're welcome and you're safe here. Absolutely. Is there a message that you can share to those who may not feel safe or are not comfortable about the skin that they're in and what what should they know about themselves? Everything that you have been told that is negative about your body and the way that it looks is a lie. It was developed from years and years of conditioning from industries that only seek to profit off of your insecurity. So know that although you feel these things and you feel bad about your body and not comfortable in your body, it doesn't come from a place of truth. It comes from a place of conditioning. And there is always a way to the other side. And there are people in a community, there is a huge community that will support you in that journey. And we like to think that we're part of that. 100%. So for those who are looking to join in in the festivities, where can they register? So we have it on Eventbrite. You can find the Eventbrite link through any of our Instagram pages. So you can go to mybodywpg, you can go to underscore rising strong, or you can go to Tilly and True, all spelled out on Instagram, and click the event link in our bios and head to Eventbrite and you can register. The only reason why we're doing a registration, tickets are free, it's all inclusive, is just so then we can kind of gauge account for activities. Absolutely. So again, this is all free of charge. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I would just say I would encourage people to come out, come out to the beach day. We had such an awesome time last year and it's going to be even bigger this year. And no matter who you are, you are welcome and you will be celebrated. And I can't wait to see everyone there. Absolutely. And we hope for great weather as well. So thanks to Brooke for sharing her story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, if you've heard the Because and Effect podcast by the Winnipeg Foundation, you'll no doubt be familiar with the Just Because segment of seven questions at the end of each interview. I had the chance to answer those questions a couple of weeks ago, and this week, Because and Effect host Nolan Bicknell will be asking my co-host Sunny those very same questions. Welcome back to Because Radio. Sunny Promolo here, and I'm here sitting with Nolan Bicknell. 
Welcome to the show, Nolan. Hi, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So as you all know, Nolan uh, does the or hosts the Because and Effect podcast. Usually he's here to speak to us about who he's spoke to each week, but uh, this week we're doing something a little bit different. That's right. Um, we did this a couple weeks ago with Rob. So every for people who don't know, Because and Effect is the podcast that I host from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people uh, about the causes that they care about and the effects that it has on their lives and the lives of those around them. So we've had various guests, including Scott Oak, uh, Ace Burpee, Mark Chipman, Cal Barteski, the list goes on. And uh, at the end of every podcast, um, usually the conversations last maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, but at the end of every podcast, I ask the same seven questions and we call it just because. And this week, I was hoping, Sonny, that you would uh, do me the favor of answering all of the just because questions. How do you feel? Uh, nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it'll be good. You're in good hands and uh, it'll be fun, I think. And I'm interested to learn a little bit more about you and about uh, what makes you tick. So I mean, we might as well just get right into it. Sounds great. Question one. What is the first cause that you actually remember caring about? You know what? I would have to say the fight against racism. Hmm. Yeah. So I faced my share of discrimination as a minority growing up. And at times it made me feel less of a person and no one hmm. should really ever feel that way. Fully, is there a moment or story or something that you remember the first time something like that happened? I mean, kids are brutal. You yeah. know, growing up, you get bullied. I was always a little bit smaller. Um, and, you know, kids pick on other kids. And for whatever reason they exactly. can find, right? yeah. I, I was mean, called short stuff for years, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm shorter than you. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, great answer. Uh, number two, if money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing that you would do in support of uh, that cause? Well, I, w I would probably have to say that I would educate myself about different cultures. Um, I would try and find their commonalities, try to understand the reasoning behind their differences, and try to educate others that may only see the stereotypes. Education seems to be the number one solution to a lot of the world's problems, but especially racism. Because if you have empathy and experience with other cultures and other people, you're not going to be so prone to thinking of them as the other, you know? Exactly. I would definitely love to travel the world, meet amazing people doing great things for their communities and share my experience and create opportunities for others to do the same. You know? Very cool. Yeah. Question number three on just because. What's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause that you care about? Well, that globalization is evil. Mm. Yeah, so globalization, I know a lot of people are scared of it because, you know, immigration, people taking jobs. Uh, a lot of people have their walls up because mm -hmm. of it. But, you know, I, I look at globalization as a great thing. Here in Canada, we're known to be a mosaic, not necessarily a melting pot, but we're here to blend together to work together for the greater good that's one of the best things about canada is that when you say someone is canadian there is no cookie cutter definition no. of what that means right everyone there's all walks of life that are canadian all different cultures and ethnicities and people and races and creeds and religions and it's just such a beautiful country because of that so exactly. yeah couldn't agree more great well said Question number four, what is a time in your life when you had to pivot because a plan maybe wasn't working? I mean, when, does, when doesn't that happen? Right? Really? <laughs> um, if I had to choose a time, I would probably have to say choosing this career. Mm. Yeah, so... Because you weren't always in broadcasting or in communications? No, absolutely yeah. not. Like, I knew in my heart that I wanted to do something that would kind of go beyond myself. I wanted to help 
others or you know do something greater like initially when i first got into communications it was kind of my goal to work with westjet believe it or not right uh just because i fell in love with their christmas miracle campaign Mm. and just seeing how people were affected in such a positive way i just i wanted to be a part of that and you know, obviously I'm not at West yet and I'm here, but the way I pivoted is I'm still at the foundation and I'm able to share the stories of those that are doing great things. For sure. Very cool. Question number five, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? For me, I think it's been, I don't know who said it to me, but if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Mm. And I struggle with that every day because, you know, sometimes I'm, pretty much uh, introvert at heart and it's hard for me to get myself out there but at the same time if I'm not pushing my boundaries really am I growing so I need I try and tell myself that every day to kind of just put myself out there a little bit more that's definitely good yeah far too often people I think just relax and rest on their on their current situation and don't really worry about growing if they're comfortable and Comfort shouldn't be the goal. Growth should be the goal. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Question six. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? Don't eat all that junk food. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously. um, I would say allow yourself to be vulnerable um, and know that you're so much more than what you think you are. Because, you know, like I said, I'm pretty introverted and that at times can make me feel shy or not confident about certain things. So I definitely would have told myself, you know, just be more confident, believe in yourself. Yeah. It takes, it takes a while to get there though. You know, most youth that I meet and myself included, you don't really feel like you're anyone until much later in life. So it's, if we can impart that on our youth, it'd be a lot better for everyone growing up because adolescence is hard, man. It's crazy. It is. Final question. Thank you for doing this, Sonny. Uh, What do you want to be remembered for? Well, kind of to stay on track with everything, I want to be remembered as someone that left a positive imprint. I know you probably heard this already, but uh, it's kind of the reason why I started the Winnipeg Impact Maker segment Mm -hmm. here on the radio show. It's my little way to spread positivity and help empower those who are making our city a better place. Well said. Well thank you i'm hoping that wasn't too painful at the end of every the cause and effect podcast we do this exact seven questions to every single guest that we have so we wanted to put you in the hot seat to uh to just show people what it was like and get ready for season two which is launching september 3rd uh so yeah the because and effect podcast if you want to listen to the first season there's 12 episodes you can go to becauseandeffect.org that's because a n d e f f e c t org, And uh, you can check all 12 episodes out and uh, get prepped for season two. Sunny, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for joining us. And yeah, it, that was nerve wracking, but I, I did it. <laughs> Happy you did. Thanks, man. Thank you.
That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can always email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sonny Pomolo. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs>